Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play, where we take sport seriously, at least sometimes. Paul Roach with you here as always, and it's a big welcome back to Stephen Riley, dialing in as usual from the alleged sporting capital of the world, and returning to the show after a, a torn Hartledge uh, kept him out the last couple of shows. G'day, Riles, how are you going? Hey, Paul. Hi, everyone. I am delighted and excited to be back. So good to have you back. And of course, it's hello to The Rock. That is Simon Johnson joining me as always here at Fawn Against Headquarters. G'day, Jono. Shoulders are heavy, you know, been carrying mm. this extra load, but it's, it's okay, Reggie. Great to be back and good it's, to see you, Ralph. It's, it's the problem with colleagues working remotely, Jono, isn't it? You just can't tell what they're getting up to when they don't mm. front up. Yep. Uh, look, ahead in the show, this notion of destination sports. We've just seen both Aussie Rules and the Rebel Golf Tour descend on Adelaide, and we'll be talking to Andrew McGarry from the ABC shortly about both. Also, NRL's plans to go to Vegas baby, and also the sporting hub that that city has very recently become. Naturally, we'll be wrapping it all up with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we enjoy poking fun at the misdemeanors of sporting types off the field of play. You can actually get involved in Red Card, Yellow Card by using the hashtag RCYC, Red Card, Yellow Card, on your favorite social media channel uh, to let us know if you see any. Uh, Those social media channels are as follows, Twitter at for and against, with a little underscore on the end. On Insta, for, dot, and, dot, against. But for now, let's get into the show. It was as if the sporting universe descended on Radelaide recently, first in the form of probably the biggest footy carnival the country has seen in the form of Gather Round, followed shortly thereafter by Live Golf. It's good to see the South Australian government enthusiastically contributing to the sports-washing ambitions of Saudi Arabia. But nonetheless, we'll come back to the golf uh, but Gather Round, apart from the really cool name, Roz, you're a man in footy central. What did you make of Gather Round? You know, I'm a cynic at the best of times. We know. But <laughs> but you know what? Uh, by the numbers, this was one of the best of times. And it was in Adelaide. I mean, wonders never cease. Jono, did you have a look at all to Gather Round? Saw a couple of games or some highlights of a couple of games. Yeah, I thought it was superb. I, I think it's obviously challenging the NRL's version uh, up in Brisbane. But, um, yeah, something different and I liked it. Mm-hmm. Well, plenty of points to discuss. And so who better to join us now to dissect Gather Round and consider where to from here than longtime friend of for and against, one-time resident of Adelaide, and at this point in time, ABC Digital Sports reporter Andrew McGarry. Mr McGarry, welcome to the show. Hello, guys. Great to be back. Uh, so, Andrew, your initial thoughts on Gather Round as a former Adelaidean and a, as an ABC Sports reporter. Yes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about the, uh, the desperate sledging by Mr Riley there, but Adelaide is exactly the place that you want to have Gather Round. I disagree with the name far more than I disagree with the venue. Um, Talk to us about that. I'm interested in the name. Yeah, It's pretty naff, but it's good. Is it? It's descriptive. Um, (laughs) It's where they want people together, so in one spot. And great. I mean, yeah, next. It's. I don't know what they could have called it instead of this, but um, it's a good thing. The, The product is a massive thing, and the name isn't really the issue. All right, well, let's, let's talk about the product. So what did you make of it as, uh, as someone as I say, who's lived in Adelaide, who's experienced what it's like down there? This would have been a big thing for the town, yeah? For the city, sorry. It would, it was, it's huge, and it was the right place to start it out. Like anyone who's ever been to Adelaide at festival time or anyone who's ever been to Adelaide at showdown time, more, more importantly, knows how absolutely football nuts the city of Adelaide is. And as long as there was going to be the proper support put in place, this was always going to be 
a success. The fact that that many interstate people came in to join in the party was uh, was more of a bonus. Not, not a bonus, but it was it just made it perfect. So uh, two two points, Andrew. The first one is. Well, of course Adelaide's a good spot to do this because there's nothing else to do there. All right, that's the first point. The second is, if they weren't going to call it Gather Round, there are a whole lot of other choices, especially down Adelaide. You could have called it the Merry-Go-Round. You could have called it Square Peg in a Round Hole. You could have called it a Clip Around the Year. You know, there's all sorts of rounds that we could have called. So all the tiny, tiny amount of time that you had to do work for leading into this show, Steve, that's what you focused on, was it? No, that was just in response to Andrew. Okay, let's push the name aside because I think there's more serious uh, discussion points at stake here. So, McGarry, interested to say, interested you said it's a good place to start it, and indeed they've obviously awarded to Adelaide for the next three years. Is it just because it's a footy town? Why is it a good place to start there? It's a perfect spot because of largely because of Adelaide Oval, um, because it's one of the best grounds in the country. And because of its location just near the River Torrens, a short walk across the bridge, it's less of a walk than the MCG, the, the, the bridge the MCG is from, you know, Riley. Uh, <clears throat> but it's more the, it's the fact that it's, it's, it's close to amenities, it's close to North Terrace. People can walk across the bridge and in five minutes be from the uh, restaurant, bar, precinct, to the game and also the fact that it's just a, a really great place to be. The, like, uh, what I said about the festival aspect, Adelaide gets festivals, whether it's Cabaret Festival, whether it's the Adelaide Festival or a Fringe Festival, they, or WOMAD or the Writers Week or whatever it is, they get how to put on a focused event. And this worked, you know, I, I can't see it a bit working any better anywhere else. Well, So why did you do that to start it? Let's come back to that point, but Jono? I think a couple of points arising from that, uh, Andrew. Uh, I, I liked your comment about Adelaide Oval. We had a work conference there last year, and I have to agree, fantastic venue for a work conference and very close to all the appropriate amenities, I have to say. Hopefully we get back, back there again soon. Um, I was interested in your point about it being the heartland and such a – I guess, a home of a real passionate number of uh, traditional football fans. And it is hard not to look at the parallels with the NRL's magic round here. And the NRL have obviously taken that to Brisbane for a long time or for a few years now. And there are just that hardcore rugby league fans up in Brisbane that make it work. And I mean, certainly not an Adelanian expert such as yourself, but it does seem from a distance that you're onto something there, that they really have captured something. So what is it about that being such a heartland or a, a traditional area of uh, football and, and why did it work like that? Well, I mean, you've you've got to figure that, okay, South Australia has been part of the AFL for just on 30 years, just a little bit over 30 years. But just like you know you've got the four you've got the four uh heartland footy states victoria south australia wa taz and adelaide has the best individual fit i would argue for something like this because so much of the population is fitted in this one spot 
and they can get very easily between, you know, you can get from the Adelaide Hills. So Mount Barker, the Mount Barker game is like 45 minutes from the city. And that was a country game. I mean, I'd kind of argue with that. Hmm. But, you know, you have Norwood Oval as a suburban ground, which was, you know, it's 10, 10 minutes in a car, whatever. You know, it, it's all central. And I think the way that this has the way this has worked, the Sandfall, the local state fans have had their league for over a hundred years. And then it got kind of superseded a bit by the AFL. When I spoke to Bruce McAvaney for a um, a mm. feature I did around Gather Round on the best SA footballers who never went to the AFL or the VFL before that. And his take was that when he was when he was growing up, that he thought easily the top teams in the in the Sandfall would have made the finals in the VFL. So you've got that section, that's that, that strong local competition, strong local footy, and then it gets superseded because the checkbooks came out in the seventies and the stars of the of, of the of Sandfall started to go to the VFL. Yeah, I think that's I mean let, let's be clear, you know, the games played at the Adelaide Oval were country games, but um putting that aside Stephen. I, I, I let me get in, stuck into Simon for a second. There's no comparison between the gather round and the magic round. The gather round walked all over it. I think the the best case that the NRL had for the magic round was that you only had to buy three tickets and then you could, you know, sit in the same seat for, you know, all the games, you know, and then you have lots and lots of um, double headers. Did they have a triple header to make it work? Whereas, yeah. you know, in Adelaide you had to, I think you had to, buy seven tickets if you wanted to watch every single game. The fact is they sold out every single game, and that's what Adelaide does very well with the festivals. They do turn up. People were prepared to, prepared to travel. I, I think it was a, an absolutely astounding success. Surely that success could be replicated elsewhere, right? So let's think about the future of this event. So it's going to be in Adelaide for the next three years. But I think there's some really interesting arguments for all the other alternative locations. Perth, it's surely that ticks at the similar a similar box to Adelaide, footy heartland state, small area, maybe it's further for people to, to travel to from other parts of the country. Southeast Queensland, you know, there's a bit of a foothold of footy in there, but surely a great place to take that the show to promote the game. And obviously Sydney leaving the best to last. Like a market that would obviously a significant part of the population would know it was there. But it's you know, those there'd be plenty of rusted on people. You know, certainly Swans fans up here, there's plenty of expats up here who would follow most of the Victorian teams, indeed possibly other interstate teams, and then you'd have enough interest to fly, for other people to fly here, and we'd have the accommodation here to, to accommodate, no pun intended, to accommodate that. So I think there's a good argument for each of those, and obviously being a Sydney-sider, I'm lobbying for Sydney to be next. I think it'd be, I think it'd be great here, notwithstanding the fact that it would run the risk of being missed. It's a smart play by the administrators, isn't it? It's all getting back to the original theme. It's destination sporting mm-hmm. events. It's turning a, a sporting event into a destination, uh, packaging it up with a whole bunch of other ones, and I guess spreading spreading the word a little bit more. It's something that works not just with um, those two sports, but a couple of others. And, I mean, what did you do the last time you went to Adelaide, John? You went to a sporting facility. Of course. Last yeah. time I went to Adelaide was with you and Riley. We went to a test match. Indeed. Sport, Indeed. You know, sport brings people together. It does. It does. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yes, Mr. McGarry? There are arguments for all four 
and you didn't you didn't throw Taz in, but the fact they're about to get a, they're about to mm. get ticked off on an AFL team and a new stadium, but it's it's the timing of it. The timing is different for each of those states. The next time round, it's I would argue it's almost got to be either Perth or Sydney. Perth because it's the obvious follow, mm. and Sydney if they want to grow the game. But in terms of Southeast Queensland, you're not going to be able to do it until much closer to 2030. Because the Cross River Rail might come will come in sort of the end of next year, but then the Gabba gets knocked down and mm. you don't have a venue. All right, well that's good. So, that takes competition away from the others. Yeah, you know, we will pencil Sydney. in Brisbane later on. Riles, your thoughts? Well, I'm just wondering why you think Sydney's going to work. Do you think people in Sydney would actually turn turn up for this? I don't think you'd sell out any more than the Swans game. I don't think you'd even sell out the Giants. I completely agree, but is that the point? Yeah. Is, that the, is that the measure? It's the, getting the, any interest in Sydney. You'd get some people in. You wouldn't get. You, you wouldn't sell it out for sure. Completely agree. But you would get more people going to footy, going to see Richmond and Kilda that would ever do for who were in Sydney. No, I just don't think you would. Unlike Adelaide, there are other things to do in Sydney. Um, you know, I think. <laughs> and it would be going. It's a fair point. It would be going head to head with uh, with rugby league. It would be on at the same time as a rugby league round, and NRL would no doubt be doing everything they could to have as many games in Sydney as possible. I would have thought. Um, so yeah, there'd be some tension there if you had it in Sydney, but um, I think it'd be quite fun to watch. Wouldn't the obvious be, place to, to do it be to have it in though. Melbourne? Yeah, I was waiting for you to bring that up, Riles. It's already you already have gathering every weekend in Melbourne. Uh, no, we don't. We still have some token <laughs> games out in the country. Uh, oh, look! I mean, can I can I just quickly say for next time because this is this is going. Uh, we now have it confirmed for three more years. The next time for twenty twenty four. There are obvious changes that are going to come in. Instead of having the Adelaide Hills, it'll be the Barossa because they want to sell the wine regions. So it's more likely to be Noor Yutpa. Um, although, quite frankly, personally, I, one of my best footy memories is going to Angerston, um, just like a few minutes away from, it's in wine country. It's a few minutes away from the David Hayes or the Hayes family um, racing complex of Lindsay Park. And mm. you can you can have a ground near the, the, the town centre with where people can park their utes there and lean on the horns when the goals are get, get kicked and get an actual country, get an actual country footy experience. Um, I, I just heard wine regions, John. I don't know about there. you. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, sort of, my, my, my mind started to wander. Was mm. it McGill Estate we went to just before the test match? It was superb, wasn't it? Yeah. What a day that was. Yeah. yeah. Good O. They're yeah, l- and they won't, they, won't, they won't remember the game then. Yeah. No, look, Riles and I made a point of bailing from lunch to get to the ground just in time because it was a day-night test, but Jono and others certainly lingered at Mingill Estate, it's fair to say. Rolled in a little bit late yeah, to the just, game. just a tad. Listen, let's, let's leave Gather Round behind. Stay with Adelaide, though, and this live golf uh, thing. Jono, why were you not on the ground in Adelaide for that event that weekend not that long ago? For it the- is a very fair – it certainly wasn't a conscientious objection or a, um, you know taking a view that I, I didn't want to – participate in this sports washing, mm-hmm. as you described it. Mm-hmm. No, I just couldn't get across there, Rochi. But 75,000 fans could, who were all paying big bucks, and the TV ratings were pretty good as well. It's actually quite interesting to see how the Australians have embraced this. So, And to be fair, Paddy, probably a, a large bunch of Adelaideans as well, even though I think it was really good for tourism and getting a whole bunch of interstate people there as well. So for those that didn't catch up, Taylor Gooch, uh, 
pre- previously fairly unknown American won the six million dollar check. Six million bucks. Six mil. Yeah, is more than I think probably five or six of the previous PGA tournaments mm. combined. The purses combined. Aussie for, PGA events. Yeah, Aussie yeah. PGA events would have for every member of that field. So winners would only get you know seven hundred grand or eight hundred grand in previous times. So it's massive money. Chase Kupka, so Brooks's brother, got a hole in one on the watering hole. That that led to a whole bunch of alcohol being. Did thrown. everyone have to skull? Hole in I one, don't know. everyone it skull. Looked like people were throwing full beers. I'm not quite sure what was going on there. And there the, was nothing left to skull. <laughs> and the, the deep irony uh, that an event flooded with alcohol was underwritten by the teetotal, teetotal Saudi Arabia. Um, but anyway, but yeah, look, it was a big success, and Greg Norman will no doubt be very happy that his uh, home country has proven to be uh, a winning event for Liv. I think that this is a huge success for Liv, and it'll, it'll pay off in multiple markets. I also think, so there's been a big, I was over in the States uh, in the last month and a whole lot of people there were saying, you know, live golf undermines, undercuts the PGA Tour, which takes care of the grassroots. Now, I don't know whether the PGA Tour takes care of the grassroots, but let's say it does and it at least provides a pathway for professional golfers to find their way into a living and so I, I can get that. But what this did was said that the, the idea travels and the idea sells out. And while it might only be getting, you know, uh, 14 people watching it on the Cartoon Network or whatever it's on in the CW in, in the States, scenes like the hole-in-one and people going nuts at the watering hole. There's one tournament in the States that does that. It's Sawgrass, the TPC, and, and that gets a lot of attention for it. But you imagine if Live Golf starts targeting all the university towns around America, it becomes the most popular form of golfing entertainment pretty quick. It's a good proposition. It proved it last week. Might be the two tournament trials, just to correct you, that I think it's the Phoenix Open, the Waste Management Phoenix Open, where they have the mm. watering hole. But, um, yeah. I, watering be, hole, sorry for the uninitiated, it just means where you, you, you're in sort of – It's a stadium it's kosher to – Yeah, oh, so stadium okay. hole. They build a stadium around a right. path three. It's usually a, an easier path three, and they encourage the patrons to have quite a few beers a during the day. And rather than following the golfers around from hole to hole, you perch yourself at the watering hole or the stadium Got hole. It. And you have a number of beers, and so when there are uh, balls that go close to the hole, um, the patrons go a bit nuts. And if there happens to be a hole in one, which happens very rarely, the tradition seems to be chuck your, chuck uh, drink. your beer on. Oh, okay. yeah. I think they got the, the wrong way around myself. Yes, McGarry. I don't think this has carryover to many places. I think they were very, very smart in bringing this to Australia because Australia is starved of golf. Mm. Um, and starved of seeing their own stars and starved of seeing it on TV, on terrestrial TV. It worked well. It got the crowds. I think the format is atrocious, but (laughs) it worked for what it is. I, I, a non-competitive 54-hole jaunt, but I I think it it could work more in, in America now, now they've seen a bit of it, but I, I'm not confident in that. I think places like Australia is where this will catch on. I think next year you'll have two live events here, then the year after you might have three or four, but I, I don't think it's... it's Sounds ghastly. Yeah, I so don't think... It, yeah, well, it, it is. It's 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 horrendous, but it... Horrendous just for the format, McGoz? And so I'm no golf fan, as, as most people are aware. Are you just saying uh, three days I, instead I, of I four? Just, I really... 54 no. holes instead of 72, is that your only problem? Just to throw a, uh, I mean, a slight spanner or a contrary point to that, 
um, Patty. And look, I'm all for traditional golf and I'll always support the majors and I far prefer watching the PGA. But having watched it for the first time on the weekend, I sat down and gave it an hour. I thought I've got to see what this is all about. And admittedly, that hour included the hole-in-one, so that was a level of excitement mm. which you wouldn't ordinarily get. There is something to it, and I think you probably just have to look at it in some ways as being the 2020 of golf. So it's, you know, it's 2020 cricket version. It's totally different to the Test Match version or or the PGA version. It can be entertaining. It is hard to watch because there's so much going on at the same time. So we have that shotgun start. Even the coverage struggles to keep up with it. So you don't have that build-up of tension. But I think there's something there. I think there's something there as well. I think that the shotgun start is going to, pay off over time that you, you it it condenses the the coverage it allows you to to, to you, you don't have that sort of steady stream through and, and i think the three rounds actually i think the best thing is that they're allowed to make noise that stadium hole you watch the they'll start with just one stadium hole at each of these events and that's going to grow that's my prediction you end up with a couple of stadium holes you end up with three stadium holes mm. and that will draw people can I just say I I I, I reject the T Twenty reference. I prefer the XFL versus the NFL, <laughs> <laughs> or arena football compared to the NFL. So it's, is it as as doomed as those uh, attempts? At- no, it's it's not as doomed. I, I I would like it to be. I really I really don't like live, and I don't like the concept, and I have what you might have referred to as a conscientious objection, Simon. Um, I just don't want to see it succeed. But I I accept that what happened on the weekend was a very good weekend for Live Golf. And if Australian fans want to see this again, and I suspect they will and will go for it in in droves, then that is what it is. Because the PGA has left them high and has left fans high and dry for years. So so just a a question for you then, Andrew, because I agree. I think we we don't want the sports washing to to work. To we don't want that to succeed. But I think that's pretty well known. The Australian sporting public, or at least the Adelaide sporting public, which we've already acknowledged have nothing else to do, still turned up in droves, in numbers not seen since Greg Norman, to line the fairways to come to this event. It didn't seem to bother them. Yes. And that's, and that is big. I think in large part because mm. they have they have felt abandoned by major golf over the last fifteen years or so, and so they were willing to hold their nose, or if they if they even cared about that side of things, they were willing to accept that as as a way of getting to see some of the better best players in the world, and that's it. And it worked. Yep. Well, look, uh, let not the bread and circuses of of the Live Golf weekend distract us from the ugly raison d'etre of Live Golf and the money behind it. But nonetheless, it was quite the spectacle. It'll be interesting to see what the future holds. On to the shootout now, where we cover a couple more topics in slightly faster fashion, NRL. Now, while various Australian sports have experimented with events overseas, and China springs to mind, like both the AFL, for example, and indeed V8 Supercars have tried uh, tried China. It has taken the foresight and the chutzpah, depending on how you pronounce it, of rugby league to crack Vegas. If there was a bunch of athletes that could make Vegas their own, it's rugby league players, I swear. I mean, they're, they're the human nature 
of the sporting world, Jono? Setting up residency, do you think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we talk destinations. This is the ultimate destination uh, sport, isn't it? How good? I mean, what I was interested in is that Peter Volandis and Andrew Abdo are planning to travel to Las Vegas to begin planning the extravaganza. I would have thought so. so. Doesn't that sound like a junket? <laughs> I wonder how long they're gone for. I wonder how they're flying. Uh, how big the entourage one. is. Yeah, sure. But um, good luck to them. Apparently, there's going to be two games. Opening round, I think it's First all? round, which is interesting in terms of mm. scheduling. I'm not quite sure how that'll work. Potentially, I guess those four teams might get a buy the following Or well, maybe they do what um, – was it when baseball came to Sydney? That was sort of the opening round, but it was a week before everyone else oh, had yeah. their opening round. They just yep. did a bit out of kilter. And uh, interesting stadium as well. So it'll be at, I think it's called Allegiant Stadium, capacity of 65,000. This is the one that was built, I think, two or three years ago. And at the time, it was either the most expensive or second most expensive stadium in the world, costing two billion bucks. It's meant to be incredible. Radio. Good stuff. It looks amazing. really does. Looks looks incredible. I think this is a dangerous, dangerous play, though, for the NRL. I mean, in a world of risk management, um, seriously, you're going to take... If it's 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 two games, right? So basically, yep. fifty-two players plus plus the benches. You know, we've got sixty, seventy rugby league players in Vegas. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I mean, red card, yellow card. There'll oh, be plenty of that. Richard, we'll need a separate show of red card, yellow card. <laughs> yeah, for the, for that. No, it's an interesting play, um, pun intended. So we'll see how rugby league takes to Vegas and how Vegas takes to rugby league. Now, speaking of Vegas, there's been an interesting pivot, I believe is the, is the word you use these days, by Sin City towards the wholesome goodness, insert a little smiley face there, of sport. Now, maybe it's a deliberate tactic to diversify the reasons people come to Vegas and increasing tourist numbers, but it can't be an accident that Las Vegas, Nevada has recently added and or attracted top teams to their city in the NFL, Major League, NHL and the WNBA. Not to mention, of course, an inaugural Formula One race in late 2023. The only name missing there from the NBA is could that could that be next? Just starting a rumor there. So, pop quiz, guys, if you haven't already researched it yourself, what are the four teams? One from each of NFL, Major League, NHL, the hockey, and the women's NBA. What are the four teams that now reside in Vegas? Any idea, Jono? Uh, well, shaking I have to heads phone, there. Phone a friend for that one. Yeah. Through to you, Riles. I reckon you might be a bit more on top of it. You know, I'm, I'm, well, the, the Raiders are there now yep. in the NFL. Yep. The Golden Knights. Yep. I'm hesitating on the second word. Golden Knights. Yep. Uh, the Aces in the WNBA. Yeah, well done. And I'm missing one. What was the other sport? Well, it hasn't actually happened yet. It's a t- tiny trick question here in the uh, baseball. So the yes, yes, the Oakland A's. That's might right. Be the Vegas A's. Yeah. Correct. Well, I think that's pretty much done. I think as of you know, as we go to digits in uh, late April of 2023, it's not signed, but it's effectively done. So it's interesting. The Oakland Raiders was the uh, was the NFL team. They moved in 2020, and then yes, as as we're saying now, the Oakland A's in the baseball. So uh, <laughs> don't know what uh, what stinks in Oakland. Uh, the Golden Knights were a, an expansion franchise. They started there in 2017. They actually made it to the Stanley Cup that year, although they came second. And, uh, yeah, you're right, Riles. The Las Vegas Aces uh, in the WNBA, they came from San Antonio for the 28-2018 season, and they won it in 2022. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, the Las Vegas Aces are one of only three WNBA teams who work who operate in a city that does not have 
an NBA team. So I don't know what you can draw from that, but interesting. So yeah, that turnaround. And then as I say, on top of that, Formula One is coming to town as well. On it's a Saturday night race, the only race in the calendar that's on a Saturday, and it'll be a street circuit right in the middle of town. And if you reckon, if you thought the, the stadium hole at Live Golf in Adelaide was nuts, I strongly suspect that every single corner and straight of that, uh, of that circuit in that town on that weekend is going to be berserk. As long as they don't throw their drinks at the playing arena like they did at uh, at Adelaide. Seriously, it might get you into golf. Now, I was going to say just two things about Vegas getting into sports. It's, it's interesting uh, on two levels. One is you wonder if there's a gambling element to this, and I wonder if there's a gambling mm. element to the NRL going over there as well, for that mm. matter, that if you can tap into that market in some way, what's the kickback to the sport itself? But you sort of wonder why that hasn't happened before. And I think it's to do with the facilities. I think Allegiant Stadium being built, I think all of a sudden they've got in their head, hey, we can be a destination for events. And that's, that's mm-hmm. where the Grand Prix comes into play. I think there's a there's a strategy behind this and it, it's it's playing out. It must be for the trans, or at least partly for the transient population or the visitors who are coming there because it'd be hard to think that the locals could sustain that many local teams. It's all part of the show, isn't it, for mm. surely? And just to clarify, is the stadium that the sorry, that you mentioned that the NRL will play at, is that the same stadium the NFL? It is, yeah. Is? It's uh, yeah. the Raiders stadium. That they built quite yep. new. It's still nice and shiny. A couple years ago. Yep. that new stadium smell. Mm. Yeah, okay. Let's go and check it out. It'll be Look, it's a far cry from when we were over there for your 40th, John. That was all fine dining in David Copperfield, wasn't it? A couple of years ago, there was a bit of that. There was <laughs> interalia. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> Amongst other things. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, next time, you know, it'll be all sporting events wall-to-wall. I mean, I reckon you, you could probably put together a four- or five-day itinerary there around... Um, each of those four or five major events. Destination sport. What is not to like about it? On to it's not sport, but we like it uh, where we cover, we, 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 well, the name says it all. It's not sport, but we still like it. Uh, we've come across another not really sport that kind of calls itself a sport that, importantly, Australia has a world champion in. It's called rock stacking. Rock stacking, yes, that's right. Now, we're indebted to the investigative prowess of the ABC here for drawing our attention to this one. I, I think it's fair to say they left no stone unturned. As to what rock stacking is, well, it does what it says in the tin. You stack rocks. Now, you can do it anywhere for fun, of course, on the beach and out in the bush and in your backyard, trying to get that balance right between irregularly shaped rocks. Or you can have a world championship, as they did recently in Texas, no less, where competitors are given rocks to work with and if I understand correctly how this works, have both physical and artistic challenges to meet. Now, I'm happy to convey, Jono, that Aussie father and son team Anthony and Casper Juka, J-U-C-H-A. Juka. Juka, happy with that. They brought home the bacon for Australia with Anthony setting a new world record in quantity, balancing 31 rocks in 10 minutes. How about that? That is hours of entertainment, isn't it? It is. It's How in- good, Roz? Were you aware of rock stacking before the before before five minutes ago? Well, of course. You know, I, I, I'm a little surprised that the two of you are not. Maybe it's because Victoria's the sporting capital of the world. <laughs> but, Do you really want to claim this you, one? You may remember that um, it's it's been a long practice sport here for for tens of thousands of years, oh. as evidenced by the uh, twelve apostles. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you raise a good point. I hadn't seen any word yet in my brief research on this uh, topic as to whether igneous, sedimentary or metamorphic rocks are best suited oh. to the practice. Uh, nice. <laughs> nice. That geography field trip paid off, yeah. thinking 
<laughs> Jono, interestingly, when Anthony is not balancing rocks, he's balancing the scales of justice in his role as a barrister. Did you see that? I did not see that. He's, there yeah, you go. Yeah, it's, it's, James look at, him up. James at 13 Wentworth. He's I see. doing quite nicely. Right. Um, rocks, rocks in the head. And look, I note too that uh, Anthony, this being the father of the father-son duo, also has a Master of Dispute Resolution from UTS. So uh, he could have a future in the officiating side of the competition once his competitive days are, are over. A few rocks on the scales of justice. Well, I, don't, I don't want to throw rocks at this guy, but do you think he, he works stoned? <laughs> if he doesn't, he's got rocks in his head. On to red card, yellow card, where we enjoy poking fun at sporting types, the misdemeanours they've done off the field of play. They would rather we'd have forgotten all about them, but it's our job in this segment to bring them back into the spotlight. Stephen Riley, what is your nomination for today's show? I am nominating Wimbledon. Oh, why not? Now, Because, because I missed out on the ballot? That's it, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm done. done. Red, your red card, John. So, no, I'm, I'm nominating them because they've done the right thing. They've done the right thing and they have changed the women's uniform. I'm going to be very, very careful here that women's uniform requirements, uh, women have in the past all been required to wear white underwear and that has been problematic. And so they have changed the rule and said it's okay to wear dark undergarments, which, you know, you're thinking, well, that's fine. Why why am I nominating them? Mm. It's because in making the announcement, the, basically, the executives there have said it's a no-brainer and really easy for us to change, which means that they're basically impugning themselves for the past, what, 100 years. <laughs> Red card domination for Wimbledon. Okay. Fair enough. The old fuddy-duddy is in the, in the nice weird coloured jackets. Okay. Radio. Give it a yellow. I think... Uh, You're yeah. going red. Riles was keen on the red. Okay. I no, you didn't. I'll, I'll go yellow. didn't specify? Yeah. I think, I'll I be fine. You can go yellow. Yeah. John, what about yourself, mate? Going for the world of snooker this time, Richie. Oh, so, Ooh. did you see that the uh, world snooker champs are on at the moment? Yeah. So, Ronnie the Rocket O'Sullivan was trying to win his apparently record eighth snooker crown. I really am I stealing your thunder? I really only saw this knew it was on because of a protest that happened. Oh no, no, that could be uh, someone jumped the fence and poured orange powder over themselves in the table. Oh, uh, really? So this is not it. That's not the one. Okay, no, right. this, this, that's on the field. This is off the field. All right, <laughs> but allow me to just give you a little bit of background. Off the field. So um, off the field, yeah, indeed. So uh, Ronnie the Rocket, I think, is currently tied at seven apiece with Stephen Hendry. That'd be a name that we'd sort of remember from dim, dark days past. He was playing a newcomer at the Crucible from Belgium called Luca Bressel, I think his name was, in the quarterfinals. Anyway, on the field or on the felt, there was a huge upset with Luca, who it was his first ever appearance at the World Snooker Championships, coming back from a, a massive uh, negative situation. He won seven frames in a row to take the match 13-10. Mm. It's what's happened off the field of play or off the felt in the run-up that's piqued my interest. And it turns out that Luca wasn't focused on his preparation. He was interviewed very shortly after winning against Ronnie. And it turns out that he only practised for about 15 minutes before the tournament started. He said that the time before arriving in Sheffield was spent drinking, late night dancing, throwing darts and playing computer games, basically doing everything that a professional sportsman should not be doing before the, the mm. biggest event of the season. But he came out and said, I was so mentally fresh for this tournament. For the first game, I came here and I practiced for 15 minutes. Before the tournament, I was just out partying, staying up late to 6 a.m. and 7 a.m., playing FIFA with my friends, having drinks and not practicing. Is so Nick Kyrgios switched to snooker? <laughs> But, I mean, for my part, he is just sending the wrong message to the young players uh, out there. Uh, and 
It's outrageous behaviour. You know, can, can I digress on this one a little bit? Please feel free. I had the pleasure of seeing Ronnie O'Sullivan play Jimmy White back in 2001 at the Wembley Indoor Stadium in London. You were there? I was there, and it was the most fascinating event because it was still sponsored at the time by Benson and Hedges, and so there was smoke everywhere. Yeah. You had to sort of part the air in front of you to see the table, and while snooker is a quiet game and the, there's a gentleman you know, dressed in the black and white with a white glove holding his hand up for silence, there's not silence when they play, but there's this constant... <coughs> <laughs> all the smokers, all the smoke. It, it was the most fascinating event, one of the best cultural experiences I've, I've ever had. A particular crowd. Uh, yellow card there. Just a yellow, your, your old mate yeah, yeah. from Belgium. I mean, he did well on the field, so just a yellow. Mm, okay. Uh, look, not so lighthearted this one. Uh, comes courtesy of the BBC, who did an investigation into uh, financial scams. And unfortunately, a number of them had football sponsors heavily involved. Now, it seems that some scam companies running financial scams were so successful, they had enough money to sponsor a number of major football clubs and then use that cover of authenticity, not to mention access to the club's member base in some circumstances, to then seduce people, including said members, into making investments where they lost their money. So something to watch out there, folks. Just hold your money tight. Apparently, they used up to 150 different legitimate-sounding trading companies and pulled about a billion dollars. Not all of this is football-related, but a billion bucks all up. Now, one such trading co was EverFX, EverFX, FX Foreign Exchange, right, who at one stage was one of the main sponsors of the top-flight Spanish football team Sevilla. The club stars had advertised a trading platform on social media, and guess what? It was scamming customers out of thousands of dollars with dodgy or fake investments. So... Uh, you got to wave a red card for mine to the club for not doing their DD on their sponsors. It's a bit grubby, that one, isn't it? It is a bit. And this is also at a time when lawyers, at last I, I read, were still trying to serve Shaquille O'Neal in a class action for his promotion of now bankrupt crypto exchange FTX, uh, FTX I should say. So um, be careful out there, folks. Or because your favourite sporting person endorses some sort of investment opportunity... It could be a bit short-term, high-risk. Read the product disclosure. Please do. Past performance is not an indication of future investment outcomes. Red card there for, in this case, Sevilla and other football clubs who did not do their DD on their sponsors. And with the conclusion of Red Card, Yellow Card, we arrive at the conclusion of For and Against for another exciting episode. Stephen Riley, thank you very much for joining us. Bye see for you, now. Paul. See you, Simon. See you, everyone. Jono, thank you once again. See you next time. See you, Richie. It is goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, get us on the socials, Twitter at For and Against underscore, and on Insta, for dot and dot against. But until we do it all again in about a fortnight's time, it's bye for now. Bye.